listening to the Dr. Claude Kirshner Show. My name is Dr. Claude Kirshner, and we are here to serve organizational leaders and agile teams who strive for excellence and differentiation. I hope you enjoy the content. If you have any questions or would like some additional resources, please visit our website at www.archconsults.com. Enjoy. This subject is going to require you to think differently. And what's fun about this subject is that no idea is bad. But I want you to realize that what's going on in your mind, the potential within your mind, is limited to what you've experienced and what you put in your head. In this exercise and throughout, hopefully, this process, one of the biggest traits that an entrepreneur can possess is something called curiosity. It is a, a core competency according to the research of what entrepreneurs possess for success. Curiosity. What does it mean to be curious? Who are you? What's your name? What do you do? How do you do it? What's that about? So in marketing, which we'll talk more about, especially when we're, we have somewhat limited resources, especially when we're starting off, it is so cool to look at products and look at situations, look at other marketing campaigns, and to walk around the airport and see what caught my attention and say, why did I catch my attention? Why am I thinking about what I'm thinking about? You guys all came here today using some form of transportation. Who drove? Okay, when you were driving, were you listening to anything? Could you have possibly been exposed between the time you left wherever you were and to the time you got here to people who were trying to sell you something? How many times? Radio. You were hit on multiple occasions by different levels of communication. Do you remember any of that? Do you remember who was trying to sell you and what they said? The answers lie within, sort of. We have to pay attention to that stuff when it captures our attention. And we have to take note of the strategies in which other marketers use that work that are effective. And what we have to do is we have to be innovative and think revolutionary about the way in which we utilize the resources that we have to target our segment that we're interested in. Marketing is an easier way to say marketing. Just a simplified version of marketing is communication. You're talking to somebody. When you talk to somebody, you need their what? Um, did you go to prom? When you were interested in going to this event, what did you need to do? What is a, what is a major step in that process? Who am I going with? Who are you going with? So I need to do something. You need to get up, go to someone, and what do you need to do? Ask them out. Which would be called communicating. You need to capture my attention. And they can say, you know what, I went off, man. He's over here trying to get something from me. And I don't really, I'm not really buying what he's selling. Or I could say, all right, he doesn't really talk to me much. He's not, doesn't come around much. And I'm interested to know what does he want? So I say, all right, what's up? I'm interested. So now you have my what? Attention. The next move is a critical move that I want to know. What are you selling? What are you, what are you asking me to do? Oh, to go out. All right. With me. Is this like going to be like a friend thing or? I mean, it depends on the girl. Okay. So, <laughs> so I, you need to communicate to me what I'm getting myself into. Am I going to have to buy or are you going to buy? So the point though <laughs> is that if I'm, 
the customer and he's got something he's trying to sell me and he's got my attention, I now need to know what, what, am, I, what am I getting myself into? Do I have to come with money? Am I going to drive? Is he going to drive? What does this look like for me? So a clear, concise message of, I want you to go to prom. I'm paying. It's next Tuesday or Sunday, and I'm picking you up. So he needs to convey that message. So that's where we're at in this process. We, he got up. He communicated. He got the attention. And he's clearly articulated to his customer what is needed. Is that customer, that person, sort of in a good position now to make a decision? Cool. That's where we want our customers. So we need to be able to communicate to them. We need to be able to tell them specifically what we're selling. We certainly need to know who they are. Remember we said, depends on the group. Who are you? <laughs> it's going to be one of those or one of those kind of days. So it's about communication. It's about attention. It's about the message. What am I selling? What if I could, a really fun one is there was a camera company that was trying to put out their new digital camera product. I love what they did. So it's very difficult to compete in the digital photography space. Yeah, you're done. There's a lot of people out there. There's iPhones. freaking impossible. But what they did, which was super unique, is they were capable of doing something different, totally different. And they took a bunch of people, a bunch of people making 10 bucks an hour, pretty much another. They gave them all cameras. And they sent them out in the streets of New York City, Philadelphia, Chicago. And what they did was they took their camera and what is they acted as if they were tourists. They're going around the city, tourists, hanging out with whomever it was. And they would ask the people on the street to take a picture of them. They say, ah, hey, I'm here in the city. Can you take a picture of me? Here's this awesome brand new kick butt digital camera I'm about to give you. There you go. They, they take the camera. All right, okay, hold on, wait, I'm over here. No, I'm over here. Okay, all right, take a picture. And they're like, oh, okay, how do I zoom? I'll show you how to zoom. Take a picture of this thing, and then they give it back to me. Say, wow, where did you get this camera? So I'll tell you where I got the camera. So we're here at Jones, you know, camera shop over here, or whatever. You're interested? Go over there, bye. See you later. And they did over and over and over. What did they create? How much did that cost them? And how many people were they exposed to? Is that a creative way to, to market as an entrepreneur? I was just starting off with my dad's company, and I, I love this guy. His name's Seth Godin. One of my favorites. Okay, brilliant. Mm -hmm. Purple Cow, Tribes, you name it. Anything Seth writes, I love it. And he changed the way in which I thought about communicating customers. And he was definitely on this edge of permission marketing, his content driven stuff. And I decided that I was trying to pick up landscape accounts, the keys. And everybody's trying to pick up landscape accounts. What's one way if you got a truck and you got some money and you're going to drive around and you're going to pick up landscape accounts? You print out something and you put it on people's what? Doors. What are they called? Flyers. Flyers. But what are these things called? They put on doorknobs. Door hangers. Door hangers. Everybody putting door hangers. Oh, door hangers. This is not new. It's not novel. It's, there's no genius about this. But I decided, not that I'm a genius, but I thought that this would be cool, is that I would quote my customers, not market them. I would quote them based on the, the size of their yard and when I drove past it, and I would throw a Frisbee onto their yard with a price and a logo and said, call here, here. And I went into the Keys, and I was on the back of the truck, my buddy was driving, and I was throwing fr nice Frisbees in the back of people's yards with quotes on them. So I'm taking it a step further. I'm not marketing my business. I'm quoting your, your landscape account. <laughs> and in addition to that, if you don't like my landscape quote or whatever, you can 
nice little frisbee that has my logo on it. And what are you going to do? You, you got a landscaper, inevitably, this landscaper at some point in time is going to piss you off. They're going to let their cat, they're going to do something <laughs> you don't want them to do. And you're going to think, you know, like, like frisbee guy, man. I'm thinking about that frisbee guy. He said, well, I don't know what the quote was. I ripped the thing off. My kids were like, but I'm going to see if I can find that frisbee. Because it sticks with them. So it, it didn't cost me more than $500. And I swear, I probably got more attention from those customers. I'll never forget the owner of Valleycrest at the time, which was bought by Brightview called my dad and said, I got your son's Frisbee. Like he knew that I was working. He knew we were competitors in the market. He's a major, he says, I like that. I got my competitor interested in the idea. So this is what we need to start thinking about when we think about marketing our businesses. I'm not going to sit up here and talk to you about branding and strategy. One of the biggest things that we do, you you get a, a corporate client and you do something called conventional advertising. What is conventional advertising? From a consumer's perspective, a layman's walking. Those are mediums. Uh, TV, radio, print. TV, radio, print. There you go. Now, conventional advertising. A lot of times, corporate has this money, the Coca-Cola. A lot of times, a lot of that money is wasted. It is ill-equipped to actually work fundamentally for the target market that they're interested in. And in this class, we're going to talk about something unconventional. It is an unconventional way to go about fighting the competition and the battle that we call Getting the attention of the customer. Remember, we got to get up. We got to get out. We got to ask. They have to. We have to. We have to get their attention. And then once we get their attention, we have to communicate a message. What are we selling? And the Vietnam War was one of the only wars that the United States has ever lost. Fifty something wars. I'm, I'm not a historian, but we, the United States has fought a lot of wars, and we haven't. We haven't lost a lot of wars. Might be some contemplation about some that we lost. Some that one. But the Vietnam War is pretty much known as the United States has lost that one. Does anybody know why? What, does anybody have any idea what the Vietnamese people did that was this unconventional warfare? What did they call it? Is it guerrilla warfare? Boom. <clears throat> what is guerrilla warfare? What are some of the tactics, techniques, and strategies that they use? It you were going like, up against the U.S. Like people on the battlefield, it was like people hiding in the jungle, um, like sneak attack type stuff. They were unconventional in their approaches. They would fight at night. They would fight during holidays, weekends. They would use brutal tactics, weapons. They would slaughter. They would do horrific things to instill fear and anxiety and and just chaos into the minds of people who came onto their land. They said, no, we're going to do everything we can in our power. And the guerrilla warfare tactics were born. It was born in that Vietnam War. Nothing fun about that, nothing nice, but it was effective. Those are the kinds of tactics that we as vigorous, ambitious, entrepreneurial, creative, that also want to desire to be effective in our business, have to employ in order to crush the bigger heavyweight guys. David versus the Goliath. What did David do? If anyone knows that story. How did he use unconventional tactics to defeat his enemies? A small stone and a slingshot. Was that normal? No, it's usually larger weapons. Was David prepared for that battle? Had he been using the slingshot in the past? Has he been in a war? Probably not. But David has been using that slingshot for many years, killing many lions, killing many bears, because he was a shepherd. And he would use it as a tool, as a skill. He would know how to strategically use this tool. He was so confident because he developed that, that tool set, that kit, 
when he walked into Goliath, he knew that Goliath, this big old heavy guy with all this armor and a sword, had nothing on him with this slingshot. That's how you should feel going into the battle for your business, within the business you're, you're operating in, when you're marketing to your customers. You should feel equipped. You should feel ready to go. You shouldn't feel threatened by the bigger giants. They're spending $10 million on a Super Bowl commercial. Who, who knows how effective it's going to be? But you're going to spend 10 hours networking on the streets of wherever and handing out flyers for something, for free pizza. And everybody that comes for free pizza, you're going to have some gimmick that gets them to realize that this pizza, yeah, it's free, but you really got them here for this. You, you have this huge mural on the wall that when you're giving out this free pizza, it's right in front of this mural, and everybody wants to know who painted that mural. And when they ask who painted the mural, you give them a business card that is for the artist that they can find on Instagram who painted that mural. And once they pull up that Instagram account because they're really interested in that mural, they start looking at stuff and they buy something online. So you give out free pizzas? Yeah. So it costs money? Yeah. How much more money would it cost to advertise on Instagram about art compared to everyone else that is out there trying to capture attention? I mean, it's just off the top of my head, just think about that. What is an unconventional tactic you can use to get straight into the, to the audiences? So that that's the, the type of thinking we want to use when we talk about marketing. Activities that make transactions happen. That's what marketing is. Value-creating activities, the most creative aspect of your venture. Unlimited possibilities. Who doesn't believe that marketing has unlimited possibilities? I, they're marketing to me on my TV when my TV is off, when I'm not watching anything. <laughs> and, and, and I'm putting on, the, if you guys have Apple TV, you know what I'm talking about. I am not interested. I go, I didn't ask for that. But I'm like, I want to go to Chicago. Like Chicago is, is marketing to me as I'm sitting in my home with my TV on. That's, that's the world we're living in where the messaging coming at us is getting more creative, more unique, more customized than ever. So on the antithesis side of that, a lot of people are going to be careful what they click on, careful. What they, they're going to be even more guarded as to who they give their attention to, what they sign up for, how they sign up for it. In order to get them, you have to develop relationships. You have to develop trust with your customers. And as entrepreneurs, we're in a um, harder and harder time to try to deliver that content to people. So we have to be even more creative, more unique, and more resourceful, more gorilla-like than ever before. So everybody hears about these product, promotion, price, and place. This is the typical four Ps of marketing. But it's still very much relevant for all of our marketing thought processes. What we're selling, and this will probably hit on price, and what our business model is going to look like that we need to take into consideration on some of this. High volume, low price. So when we're selling something at high volume, a lot of it, typically what happens? Think about McDonald's. Low prices. Low prices. So what are they competing on? How about Kay's Jewelers or Pandora? What's their price promotion strategy? But are they high volume? No. 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 If 15 people come into their store and one of them walks out with something, they're completely content with that. Do 15 people walk into McDonald's and one of them walk out with something? You go to McDonald's, you're going to buy hamburgers. You go to Pandora's or Tiffany's or a place in the mall. If one person walks out of, say, 100, they're still good because they're selling at what would be low volume, high price. These are, this is critical to understand within your business model. And a lot of people, the, the quintessential Amazingness, which typically doesn't happen for some companies, would be what? High, high. High, high. high price, high volume.
There is a company that we could probably relate to that's doing this today, and they got more money than the government of the United States. What company is that? High volume, high price. Apple. How many apples are there out there? Not a lot. I mean, it happens. It doesn't happen. Tesla might get there one day. They might be. So it's so interesting how some of these companies, they literally almost have to give away their product. They have to give it away in order to make money. And Uber is one of those. We talked about how Uber's service model and their business model isn't really, it isn't really profitable yet. So it just shows you how competitive the space of marketing is. So what's low, low? Low volume, low price. Out of business? Out of business. <laughs> That's the revenue model we want to avoid. Because what are they competing on there? Cleaning services that come to your house. I'll give you the best discount. They're competing on price. Low volume, low price is no good. We don't want to be here. What do we do for the customer? What is Burger King selling in comparison to McDonald's? If I was living in Europe and I decided to migrate from Europe, I've never been to the United States before, and I walk over and I, and I walk into a burger and I see what Burger King is offering, then I take myself over to McDonald's and I have a meal at McDonald's. When you ask me, what's the difference between these two places? What, do you, what, do, what am I going to say? Well, that's what we know now. We're going to kind of say, but as, as from my experience, what would I, what I said? Nothing. These places are identical. They sell burgers, chicken, french fries, and they really don't do much other than feed the same menu, maybe color different. It's the same exact thing. But what has Burger King and McDonald's been able to do with the way they place their ads, with some of the ways they promote their products, with some of the ways they differentiated themselves from one another? What what you, what'd you say about Burger King? And what else? When you go to Burger King, you can have it. My way. Some people say, of course there's a difference. I go to Burger King, I have my way, and I get a flame boiled burger. How about McDonald's? Or McDonald's, what do you get? Flurries? So the way in which you place your products, the way in, in which you price your products, the way in which you, you promote your products creates consumer inferences and value, perceptions, signaling in our minds of where we're going to go and what we're going to do. And one of the biggest aspects of signaling, what do we do for the customer? How much does the customer pay for it? How does the customer learn about it? And when and where does the customer receive the product or service? So questions we have to ask ourselves before we develop our marketing strategy. It's a part of our strategy. That the four P's is, is redundant to some of these high-level competition people. They, they try to do things a little bit, but they're all doing the same thing. But it's effective. So the marketing imagination, seeing your customer differently than others do. Seeing your product differently than others do. We see our customers, we're trying to visualize them, trying to see some of their nuances, trying to hang out where they hang out, trying to figure out what they do, how they spend their money, what they look like, with the, if they're pet owners or they enjoy no pet, should they travel a lot, they don't travel a lot, they stay home on the weekends versus they go out on their adventures, they go to the Cape Epic mountain bike race versus they would prefer to stay home. What was the unique thing that Kevin had that made him effective in the space of this bike race? He made the riders the focal point of everything. What was his experience that made him unique to be able to provide it and to know what they wanted? Because he came, he approached the business with the mindset of an athlete. Yes, why? Because he used to He was a rider. Was he a rider? Yeah. He said, leading the first ever combined mountain bike climbing and snowboarding expedition, in Mostag ATA, and crossing the Himalayas on my bike, a few things gave me an insight into the type of people that travel the world for adventures. I used my international adventure network to launch the race 
and get international entries into the first races. Living overseas gave me an appreciation of what international clients would want in an event in South Africa. He knew because he did it. He would travel and, and go hiking in the mountains and be a part of this adventure community, and he would, he would feel the experience and say, I like that, I don't like that. So bringing that experience that he had, that unique experience, did he see his customers differently than his competitors do? I don't know how many of his competitors were climbing mountains. I mean, how many people climb mountains in the Himalayas? But he did. How many people travel as tourists to South Africa and decide that I'm going to come in here and set up the best mountain bike race ever? And say, man, what would it take for someone like me to have a good experience here? He printed some brainstorms, describes what those people would want to do, where they would want to hang out, and that kind of stuff. This process is never ending. It's so much fun. So important that we see our customers differently. Were you able to visualize that customer from his explanation in your mind? There's like Mickey Mouse. Ears, red shirt, about yay tall. He always like this. He likes to hang out in Disney World. Can you guys picture Mickey Mouse? You can picture him a little bit more, right? Yeah. Talk about your customer. Is something cool to say the type of person who goes to late night nightclubs? Can you picture that a little bit? Dude, that type of person. It's a reference point. So when you describe your customer, you can kind of start with the reference point, and then you can start describing the details. And don't be, don't be shy of, of talking about their ethnicity as well. Because a person who's Hispanic versus a person who's African-American, they hang out in different places. They have different influencers. They, they have different cultures, especially in Miami. It's okay to say, these are my customers, these aren't my customers. So don't feel like you're being biased or you know, stereotypical. It's completely acceptable when talking about who our customer is. How markets and marketing are changing. Talk about this. Speed is strategy. Focus on the value chain. Julio, how long does it take from the time you engage with a corporate client to develop a marketing strategy that is then launched and funded? How long does that take? About two to three months. Two to three months. Sometimes it takes six months to a year. for, And it's majorly, what if it fails? Are they okay with it failing? They got money, right? If they don't want it to fail, someone get fired. Sure. It might have some effectiveness about it, but the reality is it's slow. The speed in which it's done, the preparation, the processes. As entrepreneurs, we have a unique competitive advantage against some of those slower competitors. We have speed as a strategy. Yes. And the lean startup, we put that ad out. We, we track the metrics of it. We, we utilize this target market. We saw it didn't work. We actually we put out six different ads. One for this target, one for this target, one for this target, one for this target. And then the next day, we realized this one's working on this one. We don't need to ask 10 people and have six meetings and approach our investors. And we just change the app. Get rid of this one, get rid of this one. We're going with this one. How difficult is that? It's not difficult. This is your advantage. This is your home turf. You can do this kind of stuff. Your competitors don't. A lot of people think that corporations are so good because they're so good. There a lot of them, and I don't mean to, but a lot of them are from people just like you. That candidly sometimes they don't know what they're doing. They're not that smart and they're super slow. Some of them are pretty good at what they're doing. Some of them are great at what they're doing. But some of them suck. Much more customer focused. Create a community of users. Lead customers, don't just follow them. When we think about consolidation versus fragmentation, what happens when you drop a, a glass on the floor? What happens when you drop a uh, Tupperware on the floor balances. So consolidation is imagine Tupperware on the floor next to broken glass on the floor. 
some industries are consolidated, which also puts them in a position where a small agile competitor can come in and kick their butt. And some industries are fragmented, which puts you in a position to consolidate the industry in a unique kind of way, which is what this person is doing. So you have to know a little bit about your competitors, your customer base. There's a company called Hangers, which is a dry cleaning service where Procter & Gamble was getting into dry cleaning. And they were, they were consolidating an industry. And this dry cleaning was struggling to compete. But they did certain things with customer relationship management that actually allowed them to succeed and continue to grow to this day. This is where the industry comes into play. The market and the industry is different. The market is really the group of customers. You think of a market, what do you think of? People need something and uh, people who give them that. Like what they so need. there's an exchange yeah. between buyers and sellers. Yeah. That's it. Oh, well, no, we're confident. Where is this exchange happening? Who's a part of this exchange? Who are the buyers who are the sellers? It's the market. The industry is a little bit different because it comprises all of the buyers and sellers across all of the different locations. So the industry shows where, what are these buyers and sellers doing? Who are the suppliers? Who are, what are the internal operations look like? Who are the customers? It's a little bit more uh, uncontrollable. The market can shift daily. It can change. It can be, it can be um, altered. It can be influenced a little bit easier than the industry. So that's what the market, the mass market. That's, that's higher level. Then we go down to what we talked about earlier. Of this big pie, we're interested in what? A slice. This portion, what's that called? Segmenting the market. Very, very important to understand. And then within that segment, within the boating industry for fishermen between the ages of, or fishermen, fisherwomen between the ages of 30 and 55, what then in that segmented market can we focus on? Fishing grass or fresh water and salt water. Fresh water versus salt water. Can we sell them stuff? So that would be a niche within a mass market segmented niche. And how many times do you find these niches coming out? I mean, clothing apparel, shoes, this is how these unique, there's glasses niches. This glass is just for uh, people with poor reading. This glass is just for your glasses are awesome. Where'd you get your glasses? And you found some that you liked, niched. So what's the relationship market? If I don't have a website, if I don't have a YouTube, if I don't have a whatever, if I'm a successful hot dog distributor, what am I pretty darn good at? I know a lot of ballpark owners. I know six of them to be exact. Man, they love my hot dogs. I go to church with them on Sunday. I know their kids by name. I bring hot dogs over to their family get-togethers for free, but I only need those six people. What do I need a website for? I got all the business I can imagine. So hot dogs do, you know, that's relationship marketing. Well, that's me right now. So you really care about these particular people, and this, you honestly, your marketing efforts consist of dressing well, wearing a logo on your shirt, having a nice business card if you need it, picking up your phone, customer service fits within marketing, Getting out there, speaking well, presenting. This is marketing, ladies and gentlemen. If you are dang good at this, and that's all you did as a guerrilla entrepreneur, obviously you're still going to have to go through this process, right? You're going to what what's the dead market? What am I segmenting? Who am I going after? Because you really want to specialize because there is competition out there. And some of those relationships could be approached by your competition. You can lose them. So eventually you still need to understand all of them. But the truth of the matter is that that is a, a non-cost, Easy way to do it. You want to wear shirts. Maybe your car is decaled. Maybe you have a unique uh, custom voicemail on your thing. You have a cool catch line and your signature on your emails. 
There's certain things you can do as a relationship marketing to be unique within that space. Go to a chamber of commerce events, be a part of trade magazines, be served on community councils. You could be on a board for free. You can give your time and energy and effort in areas that you're really promoting yourself and your brand, but you're doing it just by showing up. If I could convince the association manager to allow me to install the camera system in this building and I charge them $4,000 a month for my services consistently. Could I have a, an awesome business with that? And really, that one-on-one, -on -one, I'm only interested in one account, one business. I live in the community. I'm super focused on that one, on the one. So it just narrows down the relationship marketing to a very spe specific person. A good one, too, would be agent, like a sports agent would be a good one. If I had Tom Brady, I was his agent, I'd be all right. But if you fired me, that's the problem with that. Is that if that one-on-one -on -one relationship breaks down, I'm not, I don't have much backing. Marketing orientation, obsession with delighting the customer. Delighting the customer. Do you think that the the epic Kevin Love I was obsessed with delighting the customer? Yes. How was how were they obsessed, or how was he obsessed with delighting the customer? Made it more uh, hospitable, I guess you could say. He was obsessed with delighting his customer. He had a marketing orientation towards the customer experience. So depth and breadth. A product service offer. What does that mean? If I have a surfboard shop and I'm selling long boards, short boards, and wakeboards, and then in my long boards I have uh, two options, in my short boards I have four options, and in my wakeboards I have one option. This is the breadth of my offering, and this is the depth of my offering. So what's important is that we understand each one of these and how it's unique, and then these different, what would be called revenue drivers on each one of these service offerings. And we have to go through that. When you have a, a product or a service, you have to understand, what, what am I offering? Am I doing the catering, different, different products, cake, cookies? How am I selling it? What's the pricing look like? The depth and breadth of the service offering. A lot of times you have restaurants, that where do they make money in restaurants? Say they have two things they serve in restaurants, food and alcohol. 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 A lot of restaurants, especially high-end restaurants, are break even on the food. Why? It's labor intense. Yes. Uh, I think it depends. Because the markup isn't enough. And when we talk about overhead for entrepreneurs, what is that, in essence, overhead, big operational costs equal what for the entrepreneur? Expense. And what is expense? Ongoing continuous expense. Fixed cost. We'll learn more about that as we go on. It's exposure. It's risk to have that ongoing fixed cost. So the reality is there's a lot of risk in the food business. As you can see, a lot of restaurants, because they have to hire the cooks, they have to hire the waiters, they have to have the nice napkins, the nice tablecloth, they have to have the retail front. They better change up their menu every once in a while, and that food better taste good. And they have to have a hostess who knows what they're doing, who presents themselves well with joy, welcome to the restaurant. Come on in. All of that is expense. They have a lot of turn, uh, high turnover. High turnover, tr lots of training. So the reality is I may give you the best flame mignon that money can buy. And I'm going to charge you $55 for it. But do you know what it cost me to provide our best flame mignon? Unbelievable what it cost me. I went to Fleming's one time with my wife. We were celebrating. We spent way too much money on this dinner. I would never spend this much money on dinner unless we were celebrating an event. So the reality is I went to the restaurant and I don't drink alcohol, neither does my wife. But what do you think that waitress is asking me? 
first thing they ask. Would you like to drink? Here's a drink, Benny. Here's a drink, Benny. Here's a drink, Benny. Because they're importing that cattle from the nicest cat. It's a great steak, man. And, and this place is grilled. Is our steak was unreal. It was so good. But they're not making any money on it. What they're making money is when they serve a glass of wine to my wife, who doesn't drink wine, for $18. And it costs them what to pour a glass of wine like that? It's a $40 bottle of wine that they, they can sell per glass. And they can make $150 on a $40 bottle of wine. Easy. How much is it? You know, they get it from the store, they put it in the thing, the waitress goes like this, boom, there you go. So their business model is different. And we'll talk a little bit more about that today. But when people come in for Miami Spice and you're a waiter or, or the, the, why do you think they put that on? They see a person like me and my wife and they're like, great. They're coming in, we're, we're losing money on this couple because we're giving them great food at a great price. But they're looking to sell those additional drinks. It's a perfect example. But the thing I want to really drill home is obviously the customer fits within this business model. How we structure our business, and a business model is very simple. It's the mechanical element behind the business that allows the business to make money. That is their, their way in which they create value, and that's how they design their business model. And we're going to talk about the customer. We're going to talk about what they did and the strategy in which they, they pursued to capture that customer. If you are Coca-Cola, who's your customer? Everyone. <laughs> Is it easy for Coca-Cola to do advertising, to do marketing? Is it easy? Why? Because everybody knows them. Everybody knows them. Everybody what? Drinks a Coca-Cola. From a six-year-old to a very easy to advertise for Coca-Cola. If you are a custom design dress shop that specializes in tuxedos and wedding dresses for weddings, are you Coca-Cola? Are you going to do the same advertising strategy as Coca-Cola? No. No. Why? Because it's more specific customers you're looking for. So the question is, for Coca-Cola, a lot of people. But for what I just talked about, is this true? No. Do you know how many times I've went into a specialist? I'm married. I think you were you were married. What? <laughs> Will I ever go back? I don't know. No. I'm in Miami now, so you might go to Quisenera. Correct. So I might, but the reality is, are they looking for me right now at this point in my life? So there's a timing component to everything we do has purpose. In it. Me playing this video for you in this class, hopefully it's going to make you remember at some point in your life that everybody is not your customer. Unless you're Coca-Cola, it doesn't work. If we go to shoot for everyone and if we don't have a multi-million dollar marketing budget, we're not going to need everyone. Think about add everyone up in this market, and think about what it would take to meet to just get 20% of that narrow market. Just think about that. If you were to capture that market, and how much marketing and advertising you're going to have to spend to capture that market, think about it. Is it possible to do when you're, you create a venture? Is it possible to do with limited resources? Could you do it? Maybe. Is it probable that you're going to do it? So. In essence, what we want to do in the beginning is really work on this concept called market, starts with an S. Strategy close. Strategy close. What'd you say? Segment. Segment. That's it. We want to segment our market. And then we want to segment it again. We want to selectively hit initially what we would want a beachhead of let's conquer this market. And then once we conquer this market and this group of people, then we'll start to expand out a little bit more. So really, the, the purpose of the canvas is to get you to ideate, to really figure out in this ideation process, 
do I have an actual opportunity? Probably save you a lot of money, a lot of time, a lot of effort, a lot of energy that you can spend elsewhere on a different opportunity through a different ideation process. But the point is you may not scrap the entire business. You may just decide that the cupcake shop called like buns and cake or something like that, that that is better off sold in a Opalaka warehouse and sold online as opposed to a retail store in downtown Miami. So your, your business model can completely change. That's a part of the ideation process. There's a company called Funovation. It's called a maze, a laser maze. And they had an awesome minimum viable product. And they went to a trade show and it was a hit. They got a $20,000 check at the trade show. They, they had a, a really cool this, like, laser maze that people went through. And it was fun. And you had to go through the laser maze. If you get dinged by the laser, you fail. And it's a, it's a cool thing. The trade show was with amusement parks, Disney kind of places. And they got 100 leads. And they got a check for 20000 But they had no plan. They had no idea who they were going after. They didn't really know what they were doing. And now they needed to provide a commercialized end product for actual use. So one of the, one of the best things that can happen as a business is when you open your doors, right? One of the scariest things that can happen for a business is when you get your first customer. There's going to be a lot of clear opportunity. But what we hope is that what we're doing is we're building a repeatable, scalable business model that we eliminate potential mistakes. So that's kind of the point of entrepreneurial education because the reality is entrepreneurial education and entrepreneurship are as different as baking and engineering. All right, well, I, I'm in business, I'm making money, so therefore I'm capable of teaching entrepreneurship. You can try, but the reality is there's process and there's science behind the art. So if the art's there, by all means, let's go. But the reality is, through for people who have experienced owning business and growing business, it's about the ability to sustain the art, to, to build something that lasts. So that's kind of what we're doing here. And the point of doing some of that research into the industry is really to provide you with some of that insight where if she did her research and the local competitors didn't, and she's over here engineering, engineering, baking, 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 engineering. You understand? So that's what's, that's what's fun about what we do is you don't need an education to do it, but you got an education. And then you did it. Ooh, watch out. And that I've enjoyed success and failure in my business, then I, I wouldn't have been as successful. I would have I would have failed more often. And let's think like gorillas. Let's be unconventional. And let's really create some fun ways in which we can communicate to our customers by getting their attention, letting them know what we're selling, and then getting them to say yes. And then taking them to the party <laughs> and have a good time.